speak to you today about one of my Old Testament superheroes. Okay, I'm sure you've probably got an Old Testament superhero, particular character that you like. They're, you know, I like them. They're, they're good. Maybe for you it's Moses leading the children of Israel across the sea on dry land and then through the wilderness. Maybe even for David, the shepherd boy, who became king. But my all-time favourite Old Testament superhero was a prophet. And we read his story in the book of 1 Kings. So I'm going to give you a really whistle-top quick tour of the life of Elijah. Now, if you've been in church any length of time, you probably know. But this is just a reminder, or if you aren't familiar, then hopefully this gives you an idea of, of Elijah. And he first appears in 1 Kings 17. So if you want to uh, get your Bible out, 1 Kings 17. And we know he comes from a place called Tishbe. And he's already a prophet when he's first mentioned, so we don't know how he became to be in that position. But the first thing that we know of that Elijah did, he approached the king of Israel, Ahab, with a message. So can you imagine going to see King Charles with a message? This is what Elijah did. He went, this is the message he gave to Ahab. He said, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. You see, Ahab had led the people away from God to worship other gods called the Baals. And Ahab's disobedience was causing trouble for the people he served. So brave Elijah walks into the king and announces there's going to be a drought. And basically, until I say so. What a hero. Once Elijah makes this announcement, God tells him to move away. And so he goes and lives by a brook. And God arranges to feed him using ravens who bring him food. Problem is, of course, Elijah's announced a drought, so there's no rain, and eventually the brook dries up. And so God tells Elijah to move on again, and this time to stay with a widow in a town called Zarephath. But when Elijah approaches the widow and asks for food, she says, look, I've only got a tiny amount of flour and oil. And I'm just about to make a cake for me and my son, and this is our last meal before we die of starvation. Elijah is unfazed and says, Look, if you make me some food first, the oil and the flour won't run out. And the widow obeys. She makes a cake of flour and oil, gives it to Elijah to eat, and then she goes to her cupboard, opens the cupboard, and there's still flour and oil. Wow, and he doesn't run out, just like Elijah had said. What a hero. Unfortunately, things don't continue too well for the widow, and her son becomes ill and dies. And she's annoyed with Elijah because she thinks that he has caused the death, but Elijah takes the son's body to the bedroom and prays over it. In verse 22, sorry, I haven't given you the verse. Verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. What a hero. Elijah then lives in obscurity for a while, and then in the third year of the famine, God says, go and see Ahab again, because the drought is coming to an end. So Elijah goes off to see Ahab again. 
And verse 17 says, When he saw Elijah, as in Ahab, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your family have. That's brave, isn't it? You've abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. The people said nothing. So Elijah arranges this contest on top of Mount Carmel. The idea is that he and the prophets of Baal have a bull. They prepare it, they chop it up, they get some wood, they make an altar from the wood, they put the bull onto the wood to be a sacrifice. But they're not allowed to set light to the wood. The contest is simple. The prophets of Baal are to call on their gods and say, come send fire to consume the sacrifice. And then Elijah will do the same. And the God who answers by fire is God. And the people thought, yeah, that works. We can do that. So the prophets of Baal, they prepare their sacrifice. They prepare this altar of wood. And they start calling on their gods to come and burn up the sacrifice. Nothing happens. Elijah even teased them and said, well, maybe your God's gone to sleep. Perhaps he's on a journey. Maybe he's even gone to the toilet. I don't think I'd have done that in front of 450 prophets. They walk around, they cut themselves, they try anything, but nothing happens. So it's Elijah's turn. He builds his altar, prepares the sacrifice, and then he gets a, a trench all the way around the altar, fills it with water, and tips water all the way over the wood to make it even harder to light. And verse 36 says, At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. What a hero. Then Elijah tells Ahab to prepare himself because he says it's going to rain. It hasn't rained for three years. Elijah prays for rain and tells his servant to go and look for a rain cloud. There isn't any. So he sends him again. Still nothing. Again, seven times, eventually the servant comes back and says, there's a cloud. It's only a little one, but there's a cloud. Ahab gets in his chariot and gets going, and soon the rain's falling heavily. But the Bible says God's hand was on Elijah, and it enabled him to run to Jezreel ahead of Ahab. What a hero. What a remarkable man. The courage to approach an evil king. He prayed for miracles. God listened and acted. He can stand on a mountain with 450 opponents, so confident in God 
that he even makes lighting the sacrifice more difficult than it needs to be? Are you building up a picture in your mind of Elijah, fearless, full of faith, living in communion with God, a real Old Testament superhero? Almost imagine he's got a cape, you know? Super Elijah. Then we go on to 1 Kings 19. You see, the evil king Ahab had a wife, and her name was Jezebel. And when Jezebel hears what happened to the prophets of Baal, she sends a message to Elijah, and she says this. Oh, there we go, reading itself. No worries. May the gods deal with me, be be ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, Elijah, I do not make your life like one of them. So Jezebel is threatening superhero Elijah. She even mentions her gods, the gods that people have decided aren't really gods, because the true God had answered by fire. Bearing in mind what you know about Elijah, bearing in mind that picture of him with his superhero cape, what would you expect him to do? Would you expect him to pray? Would you expect him to call down fire on Jezebel to dismiss her threats? That's what you'd expect a superhero to do, isn't it? But this was Elijah's response. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Suddenly, strong, full of faith, superhero Elijah has run for his life, is sitting under a bush, having suicidal thoughts. Does that surprise you? Have you been strong in faith, close to God, having your prayers answered, and then things change, and you're telling God you've had enough, you just can't do it anymore? You know, I love the fact that the Bible is honest. It doesn't pretend that superhero Elijah doesn't have a bad day. It doesn't gloss over the dark times, and because of this, it shows us how God restored Elijah, and how he can restore us too. So Elijah's sitting under the bush, contemplating his own death, and he falls asleep. And at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. The first thing that God does for Elijah is to deal with his physical needs. Do you ever split the physical and the spiritual up? You know, if you're tired or down or hurting, that's physical. But, you know, God's more interested in my spirit. Am I praying? Am I reading the Bible? Am I going to church? But you know that's not right. We have a spirit, but we also have a body. And our body is a gift from God to do life in. I don't know what you think of your body. Maybe you wish it was taller or shorter, fatter or thinner. But this is the body that that God has given to us. And he's interested in it. We know how hard it is to do life when our physical bodies aren't working the way they were designed to. And the first thing God deals with when Elijah is down is on his physical needs. Elijah, you've been busy. You haven't been caring for your body properly. You need rest. You need refreshment. 
And you know if you're ever feeling down and maybe your faith seems weak or you're not sure if you can go on, don't necessarily jump to, I must have done something wrong, I must have sinned, God's left me. Maybe you just need a rest. Maybe you need to look and think about what am I putting into my body? And we're not just talking about what goes in, in your mouth. It can be what goes in our ears and our eyes, what we're watching and engaging with. I watched a programme on TV recently where it explained some of the things that we eat in the modern world, some of the processed food, can actually make us depressed. And I thought chocolate made you happy. But, you know, a few years ago we were on holiday and uh, I took to buying a newspaper. I don't normally buy a newspaper. But on holiday I thought, I'm going to have a daily newspaper and read it. And by about day four, I started to feel really miserable. And I thought, why do I am on holiday? Why do I feel miserable? And I thought, I know what it is, because I'm feeding my brain with a whole lot of bad news, gossip, and general rubbish. Now, I'm not saying don't ever read a newspaper, don't engage with the outside world and what's going on, but we do have to be careful what we put into our bodies, through our mouth areas, or our eyes. So, Elijah is physically restored. What happens next? He got up, ate and drank, strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights till he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. He went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Sometimes in the Bible the phrase 40 days and 40 nights may not be literal, it means a long time. But Elijah travels 40 days, 40 nights to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And another name for that mountain is Mount Sinai. And it was the place where God met Moses and where he, gave, where he spoke to him face to face. So what Elijah is doing is he's going back, back to the place where God first spoke. Back to the place he knows God speaks and there he makes his honest complaint to God. I'm I'm kind of moving forward kind of person. I like to think ahead and I like to think how things might be and how things might improve. I like to look to the future. Maybe you're the same. We don't like to think we go backwards sometimes. We like to think life's improving and getting better. But when we're in a valley sometimes and we can't see the way forward and our faith even seems to fail us sometimes, the answer can be to do what Elijah did and go back. Go back to the place where God spoke. What did God say to me then? What did God promise me 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 25 years ago? At the end of the New Testament of some letters written to some churches and in one of the letters the writer says... You've lost your first love. Go back and do the things you did when you were first saved. You know, pressing on when we're feeling down isn't always the right move. Sometimes we need to go back. So Elijah gives God his complaint and God tells him to go and stand on the mountain because his presence is going to pass by. So he's standing on the mountain and a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went and stood at the mouth of the cave. And the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You see, Elijah, superhero Elijah, had been used to spectacular. The visits to the king, the miraculous provision of food, raising the dead, seeing fire come down from heaven. And on the side of Mount Horeb, he sees the spectacular, great powerful wind shattering rocks, an earthquake, a fire. The stuff of superheroes, maybe. But God wasn't in that. Elijah didn't find God in the wind or the earthquake or the fire, the big stuff. Where did Elijah find God? He found him in the gentle whisper, the still small voice. Some translations say a brief sound of silence. And you know, when we're feeling down and our faith seems to fail, what do we look for? Do we look for the big miracle? God, if you do this big miracle for me, then I'll know, I'll know, and I'll be back there and I'll be on fire. Do we search for the spectacular? Or our lives so full of noise that we can never hear the still small voice, the God whisper. Elijah presents his complaint once more to God. I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected you, torn down your altars, put the prophets to death. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me as well. This is what God says to him and this is very important. God says, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel the Hola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Go back the way you came, Elijah. In other words, go back to where you you went wrong. Go back to the wrong turning. Pick back up where you left off. And then he gives him some instructions. You see, in the midst of Elijah's depression, he wasn't seeing reality. And that's what happens, isn't it, sometimes? When we get down, we don't really see things as they really are. He felt like he was alone. There's only me left, God, and they're trying to kill me. It's just me. The world is against me. Elijah, the superhero, thought everything was hopeless. So God gives him three people to stand alongside him. Hazael, Jehu and Elisha. And God can do that for us, you know. If we feel like we're alone, actually God wants to give us people to stand alongside us. People who've got our backs. And then God also drops out a little bit of a by the by. He says, Elijah, you know what? There's 7,000 of you. You're not alone. Your view has become skewed. The situation isn't hopeless. There's 7,000 people who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000, that's a lot. Elijah, go back to where you've left off. Gather these people around you. The situation isn't hopeless, but you know what, Elijah? It's not all down to you. Elijah, you've been a superhero, but in fact there's only one superhero. There's only one saviour of the world, and guess what, Elijah? It's not you. You know, God wants us to gather people around us to support us, not to do the journey on our own. 
But we also have to remember that God is bigger than we think he is. Elijah thought he was the only one who hadn't bowed down to Baal. Oh God, it's hopeless. And God says, no, there's 7,000. I wonder if you have a situation where you think, this just seems hopeless. Maybe God is saying to you, you know what, I'm bigger than you think I am. You think I'm one, actually I'm 7,000. So I wonder where you're at today. Are you a superhero of faith? Are you standing on the mountaintop, seeing miracles, strong in faith? If you are, that's great. But you may want to just bank this story of Elijah in your mind. Keep taking good care of your body with good food and rest. Remind yourself that when a time of testing does come, because it will, because it happens to all of us, that you might have to just return to the place where God first spoke. It's why we do communion, isn't it? It's that reminder all the time. Remember that your view might be skewed by circumstances, but God was, is, and always will be bigger than you think he is. Maybe you're not in the superhero of faith category. Maybe you identify with Elijah somewhere, feeling like, I can't carry on, this is so hopeless. Is it time to go back to the place in your life where God first spoke? Remind yourself what he said. Remind yourself, why did I set out to follow him? Tell God what's on your heart and listen for his still small voice in the silence. You may experience the spectacular, you may experience the great miracle, or like Elijah, you may not find God there. You might find him in the still small voice. But remind yourself that depression and anxiety and feeling down skews your view. You may feel alone, you may feel hopeless, but actually it's not just you, there's 7,000. And God is much, much, much bigger than you think. Yes.